my wife has been singing for 54 years. Married to me. <laughs> well, there goes our future church uh, leaders, our Sunday school teachers, missionaries, our little boys and girls, I tell you. My heart goes out to them. In this day and generation that we live in, my goodness, what they have to look forward to. When we think of what is coming down the pipeline, we certainly need to do our best to train them and encourage them. And uh, hopefully get facilities where we can better accommodate a ministry toward our children. I've been looking diligently, trying to find something a little more accommodating. And, and uh, rent is very expensive here in this valley, and it's very hard to find uh, something that they would allow a church to meet in because of zoning and all those issues. Mm -hmm. We've been looking at possibility of maybe purchasing a church building that's vacant, but every time one comes open, someone else snatches it right up. And so we're going to continue to look, and if you'll just pray and uh, ask the Lord to open up those doors, uh, he, he listens to his people. And so it would be important to have a, a facility where we can have more Sunday school classes, multiply. Doesn't happen until you divide. And uh, these children, they need a, a, a program to where they can have a children's church with all the accommodations that we've used in the past. When I pastored in the state of Washington, we had the facilities. We didn't always have them, started off like what we're doing, but as the church grew, we built, and, and, and as we built, the church continued to grow to where we were having several hundred, uh, averaging five to 600 in attendance with as many as 150 children in our children's program. And uh, we had a nice facility for them, big puppet stage, all those things that uh, get their attention and great programs. And we would introduce them to Christ and bring them right through the church. And today they're still there. Many of them, they're adults, they're married, they have families. And so we want to see that happen here, raising up children to live for the Lord. Some of them are often uh, <clears throat> in the ministry preaching, Bible uh, uh, missionaries and pastors. So we rejoice in that ministry. In fact, one of the young men that I worked with up in the state of Washington, we now support him. He's our missionary to Ukraine, Jonathan Skeen. We're looking at Revelation chapter 2. In verse number 1 of Revelation chapter 19, the Lord instructed John to write the things which thou hast seen. He said to write the things which are. And then he said, I want you to write the things which shall be hereafter. And so as we read the book of Revelation, we understand that the Revelation starts off by the things that were seen as they deal with the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Gospels are based on the things which were seen. Uh, in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, 
uh, deal with the things which are, and then once the church is raptured out in Revelation chapter 4 and verse number 1, uh, we see the things which shall be hereafter. And so presently we're in chapter 2, verse number 8 through 11, as we continue to deal with the things which are. As we give reverence to the reading of God's Word, I would like to ask you, if you would, for just a moment to stand, and we'll read verses 8 through 11 of chapter 2. We will pray, and then we will ask you to sit down, buckle your seatbelts, and please no moving about in the coach while we're in flight, uh, because there will probably be some turbulence along the way as we get into this message. So let's read the scripture, we'll pray, and then I will pray, and you can pray silently, and then we'll let you be seated for a few minutes until we reach our destination. Verse number 8, And unto the angel of the church of Smyrna write these things, saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and tribulation, and poverty, for thou art rich. And I know <clears throat> the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things, or, excuse me, things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried. And ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Heavenly Father, bless our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I need that bottle of water there. Anyway, uh, as we've already said before, the book of Revelation deals with the things which were and the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter. The things which are are in reference to the seven churches, and the seven churches represent the church age. The seven churches also represent what is characterized throughout the church age. And they also speak in a literal sense because these were literal churches throughout Asia Minor. And uh, those were churches that were in existence at the time of John's writing after he was taken from the Isles of Patmos. He went back and he wrote the book of Revelation. His message was spread throughout those churches and throughout the church age. And we have God's inspired writings of John today. For these are messages that he's not only written to them, but he that hath an ear, let him hear what he saith unto the churches in reference to the church age. And when we come to the final chapter of Revelation, chapter 22, again, he reminds us that this message was written unto the churches as we come to the end of this age, as we look into what God has as far as his eternal program for us. As we begin in verse number 
8 of chapter 2, again, we read unto the angel, that would be the messenger of the church. We could assume that messenger is the pastor. The seven stars were the seven messengers. The seven candlesticks, uh, the seven candles are the seven churches. And the Lord is the one in the midst of the seven churches. And so the Lord who is in the midst of the seven churches is now in the midst of the church of Smyrna. The church at Smyrna was in a city that was there in Asia Minor. Today, the ruins of Smyrna lie within Turkey. And uh, as you can see in the notes, in a little town by the name of Izmir of about 300,000, you can find the ruins of Smyrna. Smyrna means that which they would use as an ointment to put on dead bodies to make them smell good. It was a myrrh that was emitting a, a very pleasant fragrance that was used to prepare the dead. Smyrna was also known for its temple wardens. Under the reign at that time of the emperor, uh, Diocletian, not Diocletian, but Domitia, they, he had executed the uh, understanding that there would be certain towns, Pergamos would be one, Smyrna would be another, uh, the word temples would be built in honor of the emperors. And uh, during that time, uh, they were instructed uh, to worship uh, uh, these emperors. Uh, they were required to bow before emperors and to declare those emperors to be God. And those who refused uh, to bow before the emperors and declare them as God, uh, uh, they were severely persecuted. They were put in prison. Many of them were even put to death uh, for refusing. By the time we get to that of Domitian and Diocletian, uh, there was tremendous persecution that came to the church. Under Diocletian, their buildings were raised, uh, their Bibles and all their materials that they were passing along to the churches were all burned, destroyed, and uh, the people were put in prison and horribly persecuted and many put to death until Constantine came along in 300 and 12 AD and declared Christianity a national religion and brought freedom to the imperial church, but not so much to the churches that were not a part of the imperial church. Everything that comes out of Rome is not good. And so this imperial worship in setting up these temple wardens uh, we're bringing tremendous persecution to the church. And <clears throat> as we get into our study here, we find that uh, we're moving toward that type of an atmosphere today. We're moving toward an atmosphere to where we're no longer worshiping <clears throat> the Lord, but as a nation, we're worshiping everything but the Lord. Uh, and so the Lord makes it very clear that, yes, I was a man, and yes, I died, but I'm more than a man because not only 
did I die like a man, but I did something that no man has ever has done. I'm alive, and I'm alive forevermore. Or <clears throat> I want you to understand that uh, you're not worshiping a dead man when you're worshiping me. I have proved to you that I am God. These emperors, these Caesars, uh, that they require you to bow down before and worship as God, they are dead, but I'm alive, and I'm alive forevermore. And so he gives them a commendation. There is no condemnation, only commendation for uh, this church because of the persecution that they were willing to go through because <clears throat> they were willing to serve a living Savior. So we read in verses 9 through 10, he says, I know thy works. <clears throat> he knows the tribulation. He knows about their poverty. I like the parentheses, though. But thou art rich. Sometimes we fail to realize that this old world is not our home, that we're just strangers passing through, and all the wealth of this world is, means nothing compared to your soul. The value of your soul goes far beyond the riches of this world. Jesus Christ made it very clear what would it profit a man if he was to gain the whole world and lose his soul, or what can he give in exchange for his soul? God puts more value on your soul than all the wealth of this world. Jesus Christ did not come into this world to save the world, but to save a world of lost souls. So Jesus Christ went to the cross to redeem our lost souls. Our soul is something that was not created. Our soul is something that was breathed into us. When man was created out of the dirt of the ground, his body, the Bible says that man, that is in reference to his body, became a living soul after God breathed into him the breath of life. Revelation Genesis 2 verse number 17. And that life that God has breathed into us is very precious to the Lord. But that life was lost as a result of sin, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so Jesus Christ come to redeem us from our sins and from the wages of our sins and the condemnation of death that is upon us by going to a cross and dying for our sins. And so he gave up his soul. He gave up the ghost. And he gave it into the hands of his heavenly father while his body was placed into a cold tomb. His soul went down into the lower parts of hell and he led those that were held captive in paradise into heaven and so you and I now can be assured that when we die, our souls don't go down. They go up into heaven, into the very presence of our Lord and Savior. And one day he will raise up our dead bodies to be reunited with our souls. But for the lost, their soul goes down into a place called hell that was separate from paradise. And their body goes to the grave, that is the ground, Death is the grave, hell is the soul, and death and hell 
will be delivered up one day at the great white throne judgment and death the body and hell the soul will be reunited and stand before God and be judged out of the books and because they're not in the Lamb's book of life they will be cast into the lake of fire. That is the second death. And Christ come to deliver us from that death. And those that are saved as we see in the last verse number 11 we have overcome Therefore, we're no, we have no part of that second death. And I'll say more about that in just a moment. He says, I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, that thou art rich. And oh my goodness, we have a glorious city that builder and maker is God. Streets of gold, beautiful mansion with pearly gates that lead into our mansion. Uh, we have no idea the wealth that we have and that wealth that God has promised to us through the inheritance that Jesus Christ is going to share with us. And so he says, fear. He Notice he says, fear none of these things. None of what? Well, there was persecution. He says, I know the blasphemy of them which say that they are Jews and are not, but are, notice he says, the synagogue or the congregation of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, and you will have tribulation ten days. Some believe that ten days is in reference to the ten emperors and the horrible persecution that was coming upon the Christians during the time of the reign of uh, the emperor worship the imperial worship where they were required to bow their knee and confess that Caesar is Lord and Jupiter is God and all of these crazy things they were required to do. And then they had to deal with the blasphemy of the Jews that hated the name of Jesus Christ and blasphemed his holy name who were unconverted, who refused to come to Jesus Christ those Jews that were coming into the church and tried to mix their Judeo faith with the Christian faith and telling them that they have to be circumcised and keep the law and at the same time blaspheming the very name of Jesus for what Christ has done to redeem us from the curse of the law. And so they were taking a stand. They were taking a stand against all the indoctrination of impurity that was infiltrating many of the churches of that early time and as it continues on today. But then there was a persecution without, as we understand from the Roman government. Well, today we see much of the same thing going on. We find that there is so much out there that calls itself Christian that blasphemes the name of Christ. We find that there are so many out there that hold a religion that blaspheme the name of Jesus Christ. We understand that there's a movement out there. It's called humanism, socialism, Marxism, communism. It's all coming back. It's coming to America. It's already, it's already come to Europe, and it's, it's infiltrating. Back in June uh, of the year 2020, during uh, the COVID pandemic, we have what is known as the Economic Forum. As they were celebrating their 50th anniversary of coming together, 
uh, as they call this cell, that call themselves or call this movement the Economic Forum. In that forum, uh, they finally voted on what is called the Great Reset Initiative. In the Great Reset Initiative, they have four building blocks that they have voted on to bring uh, the global planet under. First of all, one of uh, uh, the components, or we could call them building blocks, is to change our mindset. To change our mindset on capitalism. To change our mindset on religion. To change our mindset on humanity. Under this global initiative, the Great Reset, uh, they have declared that man is basically good. But there's religion out there that teaches that man is basically evil. There's religion out there that teaches that man is sinful. And, and under this new mindset, they want to do away with the religion, with any indoctrination that would teach that man is basically bad but to teach that man is good, that man has within him the innate character of being good and being loving and being kind and being peaceful. And so they want to get rid of all these religions of hate that go about causing bloodshed and causing division. You can mark it down. They hate Christianity. And they hate you for putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ because they hate the God that you serve. They want to create a new metric system. Under this new metric system, as we understand, it's based on what is called the GDP. The GDP is the gross domestic product. They want to take ownership away from you. They don't want you in the domestic world owning property. You keep raising the rent if you own property and you're making it hard on people to afford rent. So the government wants to come in and take your property to take your investments away from you because they can better manage what you have than what you, uh, than, uh, or better manage what we have than uh, what we can. And all of this is going, you, if you don't believe it's going on, you better look at what's going on in Europe. They're putting into the hands of the people the vote to take apartments and rental properties away from the owners and turning it over to the government because the people that own those properties, they don't get it and they keep raising the rent. And so the government can better manage those properties. Eventually they'll take your home from you. They say that you'll be much happier not having wealth than to have wealth. So they want to take over your wealth. And the very wealthy are the ones that are behind all this. All of this is going on. But then we understand that there's the, what is called the design new incentive. That is to take what wealth there is in America and spread it around. Did you hear that before? Spread around to countries that are considered to be third world countries. Take from you through taxation and give it to third world countries because you don't deserve to have everything that you have right now. Why should you have two refrigerators when some people don't have one? 
Why should you have steak in your refrigerator when some people can't afford to have hamburger? So they want to spread the wealth around. They want to completely destroy what we know as capitalism. Right. But here's the most dangerous one, to build what they call a genuine connection. To build a genuine connection is to bring in a digital program to where everything is governed digitally. Where through a digital program, they can know all about you, your health, your finances, and your spending. They want to do that by bringing in what is called digital currency, and in that digital currency, they put in all the other information. We are coming to that place where a digital card will be given eventually in that digital card that has your ID, has all your medical records, has all your financial records and everything, it will be put into a little chip under your skin and you will be required to do so. And if you do not have that chip, you'll not be able to buy or sell. And there'll be a world leader and that world leader like that under the Diocletian, that under these Augustine and all these other emperors, you'll be required to worship man rather than God. And you'll receive his number. It's all found in Revelation chapter 13. It's coming. It's coming. They're already putting the program together. The technology's there. The satellites are put in place. Elon Musk wants to make sure enough satellites are put up there to where there's no place on earth that is so remote that the satellites cannot reach whatever digital number they need to use. We are there. Amen. And it's already unfolding. Persecution is coming. There are three things that the Lord wants us to know from these verses that we just read from Revelation chapter 2, verse number 9 through 10. First, Jesus wants us to know that He knows what we're going through right now and what many will be going through much later. God knows and God cares. God points out that He is not unrighteous not to know and he's not unrighteous not to care and he's not unrighteous not to remember what you are doing he will not forget he knows what you're going through he knows your faithfulness he knows what you endure and let me just say we here in america have it so good Amen. i mean we don't know suffering like what they know in communist china I just heard the story about a man that was <clears throat> finally released from prison. It took a group of politicians. It took a congressman that was willing to go over to China and work with the Chinese officials to get this one Christian leader released. And he was brought over to Germany and finally they somehow smuggled him out of Germany and brought him into America. The Chinese have appointed hitmen after him because they want to have a congressional hearing on the inhumane conditions that Christians are going through 
in prison for being Christians in the country of communist China. And so they send their men over here and they watch them. They monitor their phone calls. They track them down and they take them back to China and they put them to death. There are untold stories that you're not hearing about concerning what's going on in communist China. Bill Gates says he likes what goes on in communist China. That we need to follow that pattern. We got some terrible things going on in the world today in hatred toward Christianity. And we in America have had it soft for such a long time. But we don't know what tomorrow may hold. Things can change very rapidly. They want to take your freedom away from you. COVID was just a test to see what they can mandate and what they can get away with. And eventually you can mark it down. There's going to be another pandemic or another pandemic because they want you under their control. It's all in the Bible. It's happening in other places in the world. We hear from our missionaries that all the COVID restrictions are still in place and it's going to happen again here in America because it's already been foretold, foretold of the Bible. But the Lord Jesus Christ made it very clear that God knows and God cares and God watches over those that are being severely persecuted and God keeps records and God has a special reward for those that are willing to suffer persecution for their faith. Are you willing to go to prison for your faith? Are you willing to be severely persecuted? To have your fingernails pulled from uh, the fingers? To have your body horribly tortured? To be put in a cell with bright lights for three or four weeks with loud music playing 24 hours a day with the indoctrination of communism blasting into that cell? That's what some of those prisoners are going through right now in communist China. Are you willing to go through that? And not kowtow, not bend down and not recant what you believe so you can get out of that horrible condition. This man is being brought to America to go through a congressional hearing to give testimony of those very things that I just said. And it could happen here in America. Uh, you say, well, that just sounds like a bunch of conspiracy theory to me. Well, that's because got a lot of ostriches out there with their heads buried in the sand. They don't believe the Bible. They don't believe what's coming. What makes us think that the persecution that the church of Smyrna went through, that we are undeserving of anything like that? You know, the Bible makes it very clear before judgment comes to the world, it first comes to the household of faith. Peter has warned us of this. So the Lord points out three services that characterize faith, love, and hope that God wants to see in our lives as we live our lives for Him. We read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse number 3, Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God our Father. You see, God is watching and God is observing. As we read in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse number 10, as you see there in your notes, that God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown unto Him in His name. And He's watching. 
And there's going to be some tests coming. I tell you, we, we've had it really easy. We go out and knock a few doors and someone cusses us out and slams the door in our face and we think, well, I'm suffering for Jesus. We don't know what real suffering is right now. Secondly, we understand that the Bible makes it very clear as Jesus commands us not to fear. He says, fear none of these things which shall come upon you, which thou shalt suffer. Behold the devil, he will cast some of you into prison. Yeah, some will even be put to death. Are we to fear those things? Are we to fear what's coming? No, we're not to think about tomorrow. We're not to worry about tomorrow. In fact, Jesus said, you know, if you're one of my servants, you love me, you serve me, and you're faithful unto me. He says, when that time comes, you don't need to fear what you're going to say or do. I'll give you the words. I'll give you the courage. I'll give you the boldness. I'll give you the grace. I'll give you the mercy. I'll give you the endurance. I remember reading the story about a, a Christian that was in China that persecuted, was persecuted severely for his faith. And he said while he was in prison during those years, under severe persecution, he says, I had the greatest peace, the greatest joy. I felt God's presence in a greater way than ever before. Yeah. And there's something special that God does in that time when we're willing to take a stand for Him. But if you don't have the faith now, what makes you think that you're going to have the faith then? God increase our faith. God will not allow us to suffer more than we can handle. 1 Corinthians 10, verse number 13, There hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that, that you are able but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. I don't live my life in fear of what tomorrow may bring. You know, well, why are you bringing all this up, preacher? Because you know there are churches today that don't even get on this subject. I was, I don't want to sound critical, but one time I was at a pastor seminar, and they said, you know, be careful, pastors, about putting too much emphasis on all the negativity that comes from eschatology. You know, you kind of, you got to get into it a little at a time because the people out there, they're not prepared for it, and it just scares them away. You know, I, I, people need to hear the truth. They need to be stirred up. Their souls need to be convicted. They need to be dangled over hell a little while. You know, the, the sinner, the, you know, in the hands of an angry God by Jonathan Edwards brought great revival while... They dangled over a hell by nothing more than a thread of a spider's web while the fires were grabbing a hold of them and the people in the pews were grabbing a hold, crying out to God for mercy. We need that kind of power in our preaching today. Oh no, we got to baby them and cuddle them and let them know that God is not angry at their sins, but He loves them. And avoid telling them about all the nasty things, the bad things, the evil things, the wicked things that are going to come upon the unrepentant. Now, don't go there, preacher. Bring them in through the love message. Well, is it working? Are people repenting? All the altars filled? Is there any fear of God anymore? Are we, are we living a more righteous life than we did in the past? Something's went awry. 
God makes it very clear that when we go through trials, yeah, I'm not afraid of trials because I believe my Bible. I believe whatever comes, God has made me a promise. I like what he says in Isaiah 43, verse number 1. Fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by name. Thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. Through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, the fire will not kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God. Do we believe that? Are we willing to stand on faith and Willing to say, Lord, whatever comes my way, I believe that through your power and through your grace and through your presence, I will be able to go through it. But God, without you, I know I can't do it. So Lord, help me to draw nigh to you. Yet, we find the world out there that calls themselves Christians are drawing nigh to the world. The church services have become so worldly to where they think that that is somehow embracing God. Let's, let's make our auditorium look more like a dance hall. Uh, let's turn down the lights. Let's paint the walls black. Let's make the stadium look like something other than a church. Uh, let's do everything that we can to accommodate the lost, to make them feel comfortable. No, I like bright lights. I like white walls. I like people to feel like when they're in the house of God, there's something fizzling. Some effervescence in there. It's like when you take a can of soda pop, a Dr. Pepper, and you go, you know, wow, that thing's good. That's not flat. But you open it up and you set it on the table for a few hours, then you drink it, and there's no fizzle. It's flat. Well, there's no fizzle in our churches today. Why is there no fizzle? Because there's no carbonation. The Spirit of God is no longer sealed within us. We've allowed ourselves to allow so much of the world to come into our lives that the fizzle of God is simply gone and we are just living our lives pretending that He's here. When people come into this service, I want them to feel God's presence. I want them to know that there's something special about this place. When the Word of God is preached, I want them to sense that there's power and there's conviction through His Word. Well, preacher, I don't think you should be so loud and you shouldn't preach so angrily. Well, people are dying and going to hell. Are we concerned? God made it very clear that He would not forsake His people. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. We said, well, I'm a child of God, but, you know, I'd be a lot happier if I had two new cars rather than one new car. I'm a child of God, but I live in a 2,000 square foot home with a family of four, but I'd be much happier if I had a 4,000 square foot home. You know, we have have them out there like that. And then we we have been saying, I'm satisfied with just the cottage below when we want a mansion below. We live for the things of this world and not content with such things as we have. Because we're not content with such things we have, we hold back when when the plate is passed. 
We hear the stories about the missionaries that are willing to sell everything that they have and be content with a little bit of a support and go to a mission field and share the gospel. And so we're not willing to dig into our pockets and give a little more because we understand, well, if I put too much money in that plate, well, that's going to rob me of that new carpet or that new RV or that new boat or that fishing trip that I want to take. While the rest of the world goes to hell because we're not sending money to the fishers of men. Something's wrong with what's going on in the churches today and the Lord's not happy about it because there's no contentment. We ought to be content with giving what we have to the Lord and knowing that we're storing up treasures in heaven. The Lord said, I'll go before you and I'll prepare the way. Do we believe that? Do we believe God's preparing our way? And then when we come to the closing, he makes it very clear, you be faithful and I'll give you a crown. You may have to die for that crown, but it's called the crown of life. James made it very clear in James chapter 1 and verse number 12, blessed is the man that endured temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. You see, if you love Jesus, you're willing to die for Jesus. But, you know, a lot of people say, I love Jesus, and I'm willing to die for him. Well, why aren't you living for him? I don't see that many Christians living for him today. They go right back through those doors, to the same old lifestyle that they've been living. We don't see them on Wednesday night. We don't see them on Sunday night. We don't see them out on so winning on Saturday morning. And you say, well, I'm living for God. Well, how often do you live for God? Well, I live for Him every Sunday morning. I'm right here. I'm right here, preacher, 11 o'clock to 1230. Hopefully you won't go any longer than 1230. But I'm living for Him. I read my Bible occasionally. You realize 26% of the people during the pandemic have dropped off reading their Bibles completely. 26% of the people who once read their Bibles during the pandemic stopped reading their Bibles altogether. That was just posted on Google News this morning. How much time do you spend in God's Word? Maybe the reason you're not here on Wednesday night, perhaps the reason you don't come on Sunday night, perhaps the reason... We never see you out witnessing for the Lord. It's because you spend no time in God's Word. You see, the Bible is salt. And it seasons our life. The Bible is a light. And it lights up our path. You see, the Bible is that which directs us and convicts us and shows us the way. If you're not in the Bible, you don't know the way. If we're... we're, interested in knowing the way, the truth, and the life, then we need to get into the Word of God. We need to study what Jesus has to say. He that loveth me is he that keepeth my commandments. He that keepeth not my commandments is he that loveth me not. Well, how can we keep his commandments if we don't even read his commandments? And yet, we say, I'm willing to suffer for Jesus. Are you? We're not even willing to spend 20 minutes in God's Word each morning. 
Then in closing, the promise to overcome. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. The Bible makes it very clear, and these are the words of Jesus, there is a second death. I tell you, that's a fearful thing to think about. Am I going to be an overcomer? In order to be delivered from the second death, I have to be an overcomer. Well, what is an overcomer? Well, we're told over in 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, that an overcomer is somebody who puts their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's someone that believed that Jesus Christ came into this world, went to a cross and died for their sins and was buried and rose again. And they opened up their heart and they received Him as their Savior. But they did more than that. They received Him as the Lord of their life. For they confessed with their mouth the Lord Jesus and from their heart they believed. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. When Paul came down that Damascus road and he had an encounter with Jesus, he said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? We say, Lord, will you save me? But we don't say, Lord, what will thou have me to do? You see, one of the evidence of salvation is when he becomes the Lord of your life. There's got to be a change. There's got to be conversion. There's got to be conviction. Is there a brokenness? Is there a contrition? from your sins? Have you turned from them and turned to Jesus? Are you walking with Him? Are you living for Him? Has He brought about such a change in your life to where people are saying, you're not the same person you used to be? Or do they not see any difference in your life at all? You know, it's very concerning to think that there will be those, as we read over in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, that's a haunting verse, Jesus said, the gate and the way unto heaven is straight and it's narrow and very few enter therein at. Broad is the way, but narrow is the way to heaven. We find that the religion is a very broad road that leads to destruction. And Jesus said, there'll come a day when they stand before Him at that great white throne judgment. And they will cry out and say, but wait a minute, I cast out devils in your name and I did many wonderful works in your name. And Jesus will say unto them, depart from me, ye that work iniquity, for I never knew you. He says, well, how can I be sure that he knows me? Well, according to what we read in John's Gospel, chapter 10, verse number 27, my sheep hear my voice. And he says, I know them. Why? Because they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. When we know him, he knows us, and we know that he knows us because according to Romans chapter 8, verse number 9, his spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And as we understand in Romans chapter 8, verse number 16, therefore through our spirit we can cry, Abba, Father. Do you know Him? Have you put your faith in Him? The second death can be avoided by inviting Jesus into your heart. With every head bowed.
very sobering passage of scripture that we just read. Are we soberly looking at it? Do we understand what he's saying here? He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. We read over in Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 5 these sobering words. He says, But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death have no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Can you honestly say from your heart, preacher, God reminds me through his word and through his spirit that I have been delivered from that second death, that I will go with him into his kingdom. And I have that assurance in my heart. How many can say that with heads bowed, no one looking about? How many of you can say that with absolute assurance? Preacher, I know who I believe, and I know that he is able to keep me unto that day. How many of you can raise your hand to that? Give him a big high five. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Wow, it looked like just about everyone. If I miss someone's hand, but perhaps you weren't able to raise your hand, friend, you can receive them right there where you sit. There's nothing magical about it. All you need to do is just simply from your heart believe and confess. Amen. We are told in 1 John 1, 9, what a beautiful passage. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you're here this morning and you're not sure that heaven is your home, call on him right now. You can do that by just simply confessing before him right there where you sit. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And in the best way I know how, I receive you into my heart to forgive me of my sins to be my Savior and to take me to heaven when I die. I pray this in Jesus' name. If you're watching by live stream, pray that prayer and let us know. If you're here this morning and you prayed that prayer, heads are bowed. I'll not publicly point you out, but I would like to know that you prayed that prayer. Anyone like that this morning? Yes, preacher, I prayed that prayer. Anyone? Thank you, sir. I see that hand. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? Heavenly Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. Help us, Lord, to stand strong for you in these days, I believe, final days that we're living. For we ask it in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask with heads bowed as we stand to our feet as our pianist plays. Friend, if you're here this morning and you're struggling with your salvation,